0: Welcome to MNI's FedSpeak podcast. I'm your host, Pedro DaCosta, and it's my pleasure to introduce today's guest on our program. She is Priya Misra, Managing Director and Portfolio Manager at JP Morgan Asset Management. Yeah. Misra was previously Head of Global Rates Research at TD Securities, and she's been a member of several major industry associations, including the New York Fed's Alternative Reference Rate Committee and its Treasury Market Practices Group. Thank you so much for coming on FedSpeak.
1: Thank you, Pedro. Happy to be here.
0: So we seem to be at a key inflection point for financial markets as the world's major central banks, especially the Fed, look to be done raising interest rates and the debate actually shifts toward when they might begin to cut. How are you navigating this dynamic and how is it informing the kinds of decisions you make as a portfolio manager?
1: Sure. So actually, before I start, I should say these are my views. They're not J.P. Morgan's views or J.P. Morgan Asset Management's official views, but I'm happy to share my perspective. I'm glad you call it an inflection point. I do think we're at an inflection point. We think that the last Fed hike is behind us. And we think we're in this and, you know, turning points are always hard. Inflection points are always difficult. The data is not leaning one way definitively or the other. But we think the Fed does think that policy is, quote unquote, in in a good place. And so they're likely the, the bar for them to hike more, I think, is high. I do think that the bar for them to cut is also fairly high. But the market has jumped from a month ago talking about more hikes. Now, when does the Fed start to cut? So the market does tend to overshoot. I think we focus on one narrative at a time and certainly the narrative seems to have shifted towards when the Fed eases. I think we have to be nimble here because the market can overdo moves. We're also at the time of the year when liquidity is not great. You know, people have struggled this year uh, in terms of, you know, putting money to work. Cash has been the best asset class. Risk assets are doing well, I think so the way we we're thinking about it right now, I think generally across asset classes, we're pricing in a soft landing, this elusive soft landing that the Fed has historically not been able to achieve too many times. Maybe this is the one time when they do achieve it, and so I think we're still torn. the macro landscape, I think is still very much in the soft landing or hard landing debate. I think that debate will live to see another day for a while, because I think the data is not very clear in one way or the other. There are cracks developing. We are probably more in the camp that a hard landing is more likely than what the market's pricing in. And so at some point, you want to start to think about how do you position for that hard landing? You want to remain extremely attentive to data. We're trying to be more nimble, we're looking at a lot more balance sheet for the consumer, for the corporate sector. I think a lot more credit work has to be done because dispersion increases. But I think we're near end of cycle. The question is just, what's the next cycle going to look like? And then what's the Fed reaction function? So lots of question marks out there, but if I were to distill it, it's really watching all the data, you know, aggregate level data as well as the dispersion. So the consumer, for example, I think it's hard to just look at one retail sales. We're looking at a lot of underlying data to understand what consumers are, where at, at what income spectrum are consumers struggling? Is that broadening out? I think things like that, we're spending more time looking at data and thinking about the Fed response, which I think we've been used to a Fed that's been extremely preemptive. I think it's going to be harder for them to be preemptive this time around. And so making sure that we're not positioned in portfolios for a Fed response, that may not arrive in time for the market. I think just trying to be careful around both the data as well as the Fed response function, I think both are a bit in flux here.
0: So if I understand it correctly, your baseline is a soft landing, but you see a decent chance of a hard landing? Is that Exactly, fair?
1: yes. And I think, I think it's it, it'll change with time. I think soft landing right now, you ask me, you know, I, I'm careful not to say that we, we always have a hard landing six months out. But I I still believe in the long and infamous, or famous, I should say, uh, long and variable lags. We do think will play out. I actually think the lags are much longer because of the lock-in effect. Corporates, consumers, everyone locked in at low rates. So when that debt has to get refinanced or the variable rate starts to bite in terms of higher interest rates, it starts to impact the economy. So six months from now, a hard landing might well be our case. For now, we're in a soft landing. But I, yeah, I would say we want to be ready for every, remember, every hard landing starts out looking like a soft landing. So it it will probably be our base case six months from now. But yeah, right now, we think we're in a soft landing with a decent chance of a hard landing over the next six months.
0: So, Would the hard landing be caused by the lags that you described or by a kind of policy error by the Fed where it chooses to remain too restrictive? Because of this kind of perhaps this inability to be preemptive in a rate cutting cycle that is followed an inflation surge rather than one that's just responding to recession?
1: I don't want to cop out and say both, but I would say it's more the economy slowing down. That's what ultimately, because the lags impact the economy, consumers came into this hiking cycle having locked, consumers and corporates having locked in low rates and with a very healthy balance sheet. What we saw over the last two years is those interest rates rose, and at some point, you've got to refinance your debt. And the balance sheet that looked extremely healthy a year ago, two years ago, with large amount of savings, that balance sheet looks less healthy today. So ultimately, it's the lags that slow things down. Even if the Fed was preemptive, the lags work both ways. So even if the Fed began to cut rates, and I would certainly ease financial conditions, I think for the economy to quickly turn around and start to accelerate, is uh, would be anyway harder to see, but I do think that they'll be slower. I don't know if it's a... Pol- where I struggled with is your policy mistake point. You know, if they really want to put the inflation genie back in the bottle, it's not clear that it's a policy mistake. Maybe they have to stay restrictive for a little longer. Who knows what our star is, um, short term, long run? I mean, I'm sure the Fed does a lot of work. We all have thoughts on it, but you have to be very humble when it comes to these stars or how high can they, what's, exa- what's Nehru. And so I think they might be just hesitant to start to cut rates because they know that there is a risk that inflation can reaccelerate. accelerate And inflation notoriously is impossible to forecast in a short term period, as we've all learned, I think, the hard way the last few years. So I think they'll be slower. But the hard landing is rate hikes having the intended impact and the uncertainty around what our star was, I think, um, for the market, for the Fed. So as the economy slows down, the Fed's a little reluctant to start to cut rates. But I do think that they will respond once the unemployment rate has risen sufficiently and inflation is close to that 2% level.
0: How confident are you in the disinflation story that seems to be underpinning this market hope for a rate cut. The, I mean, the story is basically that inflation is going to fall faster than the Fed expects, and therefore, they'll have to adjust the nominal rate in order to keep real rates constant.
1: Right. And that's something we've heard from President Williams and now Governor Wallace brought it up. Um, so I, a lot of that does rest on you know inflation continuing to decline. When I think about inflation, I mean, there were supply related factors and demand related factors for inflation. And I think the supply factors have largely come down. And that explains a lot of the decline in inflation. I think on the demand front, a lot of the work has been done. I'm not sure it's enough to get inflation down quickly. Inflation is famously the the most lagged economic variable. I mean, you go back to 2008, it takes a while for inflation to come down. I guess I'm a little sympathetic to ECB's Schnabel, who brought up the last mile. And as a runner, I know how hard that last mile is. But I am thinking that getting from three to two, or maybe, you know, uh, 2.8 to 2%, that might be a lot harder for the Fed to engineer with a very tight labor market so I think in you know I don't see inflation resurging but I think the straight line down which we sort of saw from five and a half percent PCE to four percent PCE I think that decline slows down or that the slope of that decline I think starts to peter out and that's what's going to make it very hard for the Fed to respond quickly because if their target is at two and we're at 2.6, Well, that's far off enough. And I don't think they want to signal that it's a little loose in terms of that 2%. So I do think inflation should decline. It's just that pace of decline. Unless the labor market softens much faster in the near term. And that's what, you know, recessions are always non-linear. And if we get a sudden shock or there's some sudden rise in the unemployment rate and the labor market weakens and wages come down, I think inflation can continue to decline. Otherwise, I think we might stall out around that two and a half to 2.7 on BCE. And that'll be a little too far away from 2% for the Fed's comfort.
0: So when do you realistically expect them to start cutting? Uh, and what do you think will be the... the and do you think they'll have to perhaps cut more slowly than in past cycles because of the things we've already discussed, the sort of the need to completely extinguish inflation in a way that they haven't had to in past cycles?
1: Sure, so I'm glad you asked about cuts because I think they have to cut in either uh, case. You know, this idea that I think a month ago there were people in the market who thought that the Fed doesn't have to cut rates at all. I would, I struggled with that because in the soft landing scenario, I think they're cutting um, in line with inflation to keep policy at the same level of restrictiveness. In the hard landing scenario, they're trying to get policy accommodative. So if we were to sort of think about these two sorts of cutting. In the soft landing scenario, I think they have to cut simply as inflation comes down. And we think that that could be a slow decline. You know, I think the market's largely priced for that sometime in the middle of next year. And you get cuts, I would argue, from five and a half of the upper bound to maybe three, three and a half over the course of a year or two. I do think it will be a slow cutting cycle, because or I don't know if you call it a cycle, but a slow amount of cuts, 100 to 150 base points of cuts in line with inflation. If inflation de- decelerates slowly, that's a slow cutting cycle. In the hard landing scenario, that's where I think the Fed, I do think they'll be later to cut in that scenario because they will want to make sure that inflation is, you know, back close to 2%. So I think they might be late to start there, I think they'll be extremely aggressive in terms of cutting rates because that's a response to get a policy accommodative rather than to just keep the same level of restrictiveness. So I think in that scenario, I would see them, given the way we're seeing the labor market evolve, if that cutting cycle starts in the second half of next year, that could be a really fast 300 basis points of cuts in from the third quarter to like the middle of 25. The market's not pricing a fast cycle I actually think the market may be pricing in a weighted average uh, probability of these two outcomes, but it feels like we don't have enough of that hard landing probability being priced in because the, what I call trough rate, or maybe now we can start calling it the new terminal rate, but the end point after the cuts have been priced in, that's still at three and a half, which to me is a high high neutral rate, soft landing-ish scenario. I think I would argue even in a soft landing, they may have to get closer to three or two and a half rather than three and a half. But in a, in a hard landing, they're going much lower than three and a half. I think we're talking, I don't know about zero, but we're talking one and a half, two percent. Because if you have a mild recession, they may want to get policy real rates into accommodative territory. So there are two, almost two somewhat different paths. Both The start of both, I think, does depend on inflation. And the unemployment rate. I think if inflation is at two and a half but the unemployment rate is close to five I do think they start to cut and that's what we'll all be watching every Fed official and every line in the minutes to try and figure out what's that threshold and is it moving away from because we've seen over the course of the last year the Fed focused from growth to inflation back to growth and I would argue in the last month on to financial conditions So I think it's an evolving reaction function, both in terms of what goes into it and the coefficient as they try and, you know, try and get that soft landing. But I'm not sure sometimes the economy can move in strange ways and they may not be able to achieve it if they start a little bit late and the economy just takes a while to respond to interest rate cuts.
0: Is a hard landing scenario one in which they'll also have to halt QT? What's your view on how that program is going and how much room it has to go?
1: Sure. So QT is, I think, famously nonlinear. The first, and I wish I could give you a dollar amount or a percent of GDP, but it's the first certain amount has absolutely no impact because these reserves are sitting in banks as excess reserves. The reserves get drained. There's more treasury supply, but you know we already have, I think, a lot of supply to take down. So I, I would argue QT so far has been remarkably successful, really no impact on any, I mean there's more treasury supply. And so should that mean higher term premium? Sure. But I think the market's been able to handle it. I do worry about a point when reserves decline too much. We're not there yet. There's still about 870 billion in RRP. Um, and it's been declining quickly. If that continues to decline all the way down to zero, I think we've got 870 billion worth of QT that can happen without really any impact. Um And there have been Fed officials who've argued that they can cut rates. And I think that's the soft landing cuts when they're just trying to maintain the level of restrictiveness. In that scenario, they can continue QT until they see some stresses in the money markets. So I do think the Fed views QT not really as a tool for monetary policy, more as a way to uh, reduce reserves without creating stresses in money markets. So I'm watching money market rates. Uh, which would be repo rates, SOFA rates, Fed Fed effective. There's various things you can look at in terms of plumbing. The standing repo facility is there, which did not exist in 2019. I don't think it's going to be enough. Uh, At some point when rates start to rise, I think the Fed will take information value from standing repo and stop QT. In a soft landing scenario, I think second half of next year is where I expect RRP has declined to some minimum level. I don't know if it's going to be zero. I think something above zero. And that's when they would stop QT. In the hard landing scenario, so let's say the unemployment rate is at five and the Fed is now cutting rates to be accommodative. I do think they stop QT because I think they know that that's tightening policy. And it seems a little odd if you're trying to make policy accommodative on the rate side to keep a restricted policy on QT, doesn't make too much sense. And But in, again, Second half is where we think the Fed might be easing rates for a hard landing scenario. So in that case, I do think they stop QT. But I would watch money markets. And again, if suddenly RRP stops falling, they may have to stop QT earlier. Just watch those repo rates and watch RRP to get a sense of when reserves might be getting a little too low for comfort for banks.
0: So you're an expert in the bond market. What do you make of the volatility in long-term yields that we've seen over the past three months, right? We surged all the way up to 5%. Some people thought we'd keep going, but then we had a pretty significant retracement as the soft landing scenario came back into view. What do you make of all of those moves and what do they mean for financial conditions and, and policy itself?
1: You're very kind to call me an expert. Now I'm just tired. The bond market has been exhausting. I will say that right up front. I think, you know, the move September, October time frame was sort of a perfect storm. We had strong data. And I think Governor Waller said it well, like third, what happened in the third quarter? But really, the consumer was on fire. The labor market was strong. So you had really strong inflation was not decelerating as fast as it had earlier. So you had strong economic data. You had a Fed that was signaling higher for longer, perhaps more hikes. And then you have an inverted yield curve. And so, you know, there was a lot made about too much supply. Now, I think the demand side stepped away. If I have an inverted curve and I can leave money in a treasury bill at five and a half, for me to go and buy 10-year treasuries at four and a half doesn't seem that exciting. Not if the Fed is signaling no rate cuts in the near term. So I think all of that Fed on itself, I would argue the treasury market is less liquid today. I think it's the new normal of liquidity, really. You don't have as much... You have no really Fed intervention. Global central banks are not buying as much in treasuries. I would argue some price insensitive buyers. U.S. banks—they were big buyers in treasuries. They're not there. So you've got a market that's relying more on price sensitive buyers, and dealer capacity is not has not grown while the treasury outstanding market has grown a lot. So I think that's resulting in overshoots in terms of what rates are doing. I think the move from 450 to 5 was an overshoot. And it was hard. As somebody, I can tell you, I wanted to go long in that entire time period. And as somebody who was very vocal at 450 saying, you should be buying here, by 475, I'm hiding under the table. And by 5%, you can't see me because it's just very hard to Draw a line in the sand when a market is less liquid and to say this is true value when I thought value was 50 base points away. So I think, as vicious as the move was going up to 5%, it's been vicious on the way down. The data has slowed, and I think that makes sense. I mean, the lags are playing out. We can debate, or I think what we know is things are slowing. Now, the debate is are we just slowing to some below-trend 1%-type growth, or are we slowing to something more sinister and we're going into a recession? That's what the debate, I think, over the next six months will be. Inflation, I think, should continue to decline. We can debate the the pace of that decline. The Fed reaction function, I think we might be disappointed that the Fed is not cutting rates soon enough, but that's, I think, going to be the, the debate in the bond market. I think that matters for the curve, so i'm a little more torn on the curve i think over the long term the curve should steepen but if the fed is not about to signal rate cuts imminently or aggressive rate cuts i think the curve stays around here but the level of the 10 year i think you know 350 to 4% seems like a fair level which is pricing in some chance of a hard landing and some chance of a soft landing. So I still think there's room for the 10-year to decline some more. I don't think there's fiscal restraint. Supply will remain a long-term or fiscal issues remain a long-term problem for us. But I think that demand side that had stepped away, there's enough uh, demand, I think, that the price clearing level for treasuries should be, maybe I'll widen out that band, three and a half to four and a half, I I think that's fair. If the data turns out to the consumer remains resilient, maybe we uh, go back up to four and a half. But I think that 5% was an overshoot. And uh, I think that might be behind us. I think now we're in a FOMO world where investors that, and I wonder if that's the focus, that will be the focus over the next year. There's like almost 5 trillion sitting in money market funds. I think that's, It felt great. When the Fed was hiking because you just earned more as the Fed hiked, if the next step is Fed eases or if, you know, at some point you want to move out from the front end, where do you invest? And I think what we've seen in the last month is people realizing they don't have enough duration or they don't have any enough risk assets. So that's why it's been a buy everything move in the last month. And that might continue into year end. The year end rally might take hold. But at some point, I think that's when fundamentals matter. And, you know, I and mean, if the economy doesn't go into a hard landing, then I think 350, 375 might be as low as the 10 years going to go, given supply, given that inflation probably stays above 2%. So I think for us to go below three and a half, you do need a hard landing.
0: Do you see the scarcity of liquidity in the bond market that you described as a major financial stability risk? Or is it something that we're going to muddle through?
1: I think we have to get used to it. Um, And so you're going to get large moves. You know, back in the day I'm old, but like 10 years ago, I thought a five basis point move would get me excited. Now you need like 10 basis points for me to say, okay, now this is a big enough move. I think we just have to get used to more volatility. Uh, The QE world is behind us. We're not in negative real rates anymore. I think actually bonds are exciting because we finally can compete with every other asset class out there in terms of positive real rates but to your liquidity to your financial stability you know i i do think and i think the official sector is paying attention to when leverage builds up in any position the basis trade and i won't geek out on bond math here whether that might be but there's if areas of leverage build up i think the system is a little more vulnerable today because the Treasury market is not as liquid. So I think the regulators will keep an eye on leverage across different uh, investor types and different asset classes. And I hope they do, because that's where the financial stability risk will come from. If there's a shock in any area and deleveraging, I think you can get bigger market moves. But right now, I don't see any area in the Treasury market where I would say that there's particular concern, but I think we just have to get used to larger moves within a range. I think we just move around a lot as we try and figure out which path the economy and the Fed are on.
0: I also wanted to get your thoughts on kind of Fed messaging about higher for longer, if that's, if that is in fact their stance, I was surprised. I don't know what your take on, on it is, but I was surprised to see governor Waller entertain rate cuts. I think he mentioned potentially in three, four or five months was the quote from his, his remarks yesterday Does that create the potential for financial markets to get overexcited and loosen financial conditions more than the Fed intends?
1: Yeah, it's a good point because there's a delicate dance, I think, that the Fed embarked on in November by bringing up financial conditions as one of the reasons for the pause. I think they run the risk that if financial conditions loosen too much, then the Fed has to jawbone the market back. And so they're trying to keep financial conditions in some sort of a band. And they're being clever and not telling us exactly what these uh, guardrails are or which financial condition index, because we know they look at everything. I think the Fed, I I struggle sometimes with Fed speak because I don't know the uh, economic assumption behind a view. I wonder if Governor Waller's view on rate cuts is predicated on inflation getting to 2% in the next five to seven months. And if that happens, then I think President Williams, Governor Waller, actually are saying a very similar, me- or, or are giving a similar message, which is that if inflation gets down to 2%, then yes, keeping Fed funds unchanged is actually making policy more restrictive. And so cutting for that reason. And I that's how I read the message. I mean, it, the market ran with a very dovish message. And I was certainly talking to clients who were wondering... How quickly can they cut? And when I said what well, depends on inflation, they almost don't want to hear the depends part of it. And I think that's the risk markets will have. But you know what? You can only deviate that far away from the Fed message before we're always like half a day or a few hours away from the next Fed message or the next Fed meeting. So the Fed has the ability, um, and Fed watchers like you talking about, they don't run away with this message. They're not about to cut rates uh, significantly. And I think at some point we'll also have to debate what is this next set of cuts. I think in a soft landing, the Fed will be a very reluctant cutter or easer. easer. They'll they, they ease policy very reluctantly because they'll want to keep inflation expectations anchored and financial conditions prevent financial conditions from easing a lot. And we have we're not we're not really used to a reluctant ease, easing Fed, right? The Fed's typically been aggressive because we've been in a recession. So I do think they, if the market runs away with pricing, and the first rate cut is priced for May of next year, and if really that moves much further in because we get a data point that suggests things are slowing, I think the Fed has a chance in the December meeting. Like I'll be focused on the dot plot.
0: That was Dying exactly on- my next question. Would they push back on financial yeah. conditions loosening by – sneaking in another, or not even sneaking it in, just maintaining that additional rate hike that they had priced into the September SEP?
1: Well, if they don't hike in December, then even if they keep the median unchanged, the market will say, okay, that's old news. I think the 24 cuts, do they keep two cuts in 24 or make it one cut? Which if you make it just one ease, median dot implies one ease, that might seem very hawkish. Well, it's certainly hawkish relative to market pricing but actually, it's offsetting the fact that they didn't hike in 23. Like this one additional hike in 23 didn't happen, so they don't need to cut one additional time in 24. And I worry that the Fed might go into the meeting thinking that one cut in 24 might be market neutral. I think it will be considered hawkish because the market sort of believing a much uh, you know lower or many more cuts than the fed has uh, has projected i do think inflation's come in lower than the fed forecast so i think they can justify still keeping two cuts in the median and i know that the fed any fed official will tell you that they it's not they don't work on messaging these are individual dots um, but i think through the press conference or the statement or the dot plot the fed can sort of say not so fast we need a lot of things to happen for us to cut rates and maybe clarifying the economic assumption behind rate cuts. I think just stressing on that, which 4.1 on the unemployment rate and 2% inflation, I think, you know could be consistent with a couple of cuts. And if inflation actually starts to stall, that they don't cut rates. I think that's the nuance that the market will be looking for, and I think, officials have the ability to uh, convey that but you know the market runs away with it and then the FED comes back and we have Chair Powell speaking not you know that far away so I wonder if he can bring the market back somewhat on message that only under certain conditions does the Fed cut rates
0: we will look forward to his remarks at Spelman College on on Friday that was Priya Misra managing director and portfolio manager at JP Morgan asset management thank you so much for coming on FedSpeak.
1: Thank you, Pedro. This was fun.